Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, many of you may have seen the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's an animated film that came out around 2009 and is based on the uh, Roald, uh, Roald Dahl. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, it's a children's novel uh, by the same title. Uh, Roald Dahl also wrote James and the Giant Peach. He wrote Matilda and a lot of other children's stories. Well, th this story is about a Mr. Fox, who is a fox, who steals food from farmers. And, and while raiding a squab farm one day, uh, Mr. Fox and his wife Felicity trigger a trap that results in the two of them being caged. Uh, Felicity uses that moment to um, tell Mr. Fox that she is pregnant. And she pleads with him to find a safer job when they escape. So Mr. Fox becomes a newspaper columnist and moves his family into a big, big tree that's in a, uh, or into, yeah, a home that's in a tree with a view. But two years later, or 12 Fox years later, after promising Felicity that he would quit stealing, Fox returns to his old ways. Every night he sneaks out with his accomplice, pal, uh, his name is Kylie, he's, he's a possum, uh, they steal out together to steal from local farmers. The farmers eventually get fed up with them, so they launch an all-out assault on Mr. Fox, and he and his family are driven deep underground. One night, Felicity, uh, his wife, tells Fox this. He said, she says, 12 years ago, 12 fox years ago, you made a promise to me while we were caged inside that fox trap that if we survived, you would never steal another chicken, turkey, goose, duck, or squab, whatever they are, and I believed you. And then she starts to cry. Why did you lie to me? Mr. Fox answers, because I'm a wild animal. His wife counters, but you are also a husband and father. Mr. Fox says, I'm just trying to tell you the truth about myself. To which Felicity replies, I don't care about the truth about yourself. This story is too predictable. And predictable, says Mr. Fox, what happens in the end? And Felicity says, in the end, we all die unless you change. I won't go into any further into the storyline. I don't want to ruin the movie for you in case you haven't seen it yet and want to watch it, and, but you should. It's a, it's a cute movie. It's a really funny movie. Uh, it's a comedy. Uh, but I will tell you this, they don't die. Uh, we're in a sermon series simply titled Human, which is all about what it means to be a human being. Um, are humans merely highly evolved animals who can't help but follow and obey their instincts and impulses or are humans being, uh, or are human beings uh, something more than animals? Beings who are created for far more than just an animal existence. If you miss the first two uh, messages in this series, I encourage you to go to our website, hopesb.com messages, where you can view or listen to previous messages. It's particularly important in this series because of the nature of, of, of the topic. Um, each message is going to be building on the one before it, which is always the case. But, but for this one, it's especially important because this is a, a topic that, that really 
is ultimate issues for us human beings. Uh, how we answer the question what it means to be a human being has colossal consequences for the human race, for how we treat other human beings, as well as how we treat the rest of creation. And I should tell you that, that there will most definitely be, be a test on this material. In fact, pretty much every day there is at least a pop quiz uh, on this material, and you really do want to make sure that you pass these tests. Lately, it seems a growing percentage of people, of human beings, have, have been failing these tests, which does not bode well for any of us, humanity in general, uh, you know, the human, whole human race, or each one of us individually. Um, the movie I just referenced is is like a lot of animated movies featuring animals that have been endowed with, with uh, very human attributes. But this one, perhaps more than most, kind of shines a spotlight on the dual nature of human beings. We, we are animals, but obviously are, we are more than animals. If Mr. Fox was just a fox, like, I mean, a, a real actual fox, well, first of all, he he obviously wouldn't be, you know, conversing and reasoning and contemplating. These animals wouldn't be contemplating their moral choices and, you know, talking about how they need to change. And, of course, nobody would blame a fox for, for raiding a farmyard. That's what foxes do. It may get them killed, but we don't consider that creature to, to be behaving in a way that's inconsistent with its nature or to have the ability to change that part of its nature, which is an idea we spent a lot of time talking about in week one of this, this series. Human beings, on the other hand, recognize that while we can sometimes behave like animals, you know, just, behave, just obeying our impulses and appetites, even if it means stealing, killing each other without compassion or empathy, uh, dominating others, el eliminating those who are weaker in the pack, those behaviors in humans are inconsistent with what it means to be a human being. We all know that. And that's why we punish those who do such things. We see those things as being unjust and immoral. We expect human beings to behave differently than animals, don't we? And to have control over their instincts and impulses, to rise above them and, and to transcend them. Because we all seem to intuitively know that human beings were made for more. We are not mere animals, which should be really good news, right? <laughs> right? Yes, that should be good news. We were made for more, far more than the animals. And yet, and yet, many of us human beings are determined not to believe it. Many insist on clinging to the idea that, no, we are just animals, though maybe highly evolved ones, but still, at our core, we are creatures of instinct with no real ability to resist or disobey our natural impulses. We are at the mercy of our appetites and urges, and really, when it comes right down to it, we don't even have any kind of real, real free will. Free will is simply an illusion. Why would anyone prefer to believe this about themselves? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. obvious. It, it means the argument can be made and is in fact being made that our choice, 
our choices and decisions to act out our impulses and seek the satiation of our desires at all costs really isn't our fault. It's just our nature. It's, it's as Mr. Fox said, it's, it's, it's just the truth about ourselves. It's how we're wired. And, and anything that suggests otherwise is just a myth based on some misguided belief in some higher power or some higher authority that for reasons we don't fully understand, we just made up a long time ago or invented. You see, going with that narrative largely frees us from any kind of moral responsibility or accountability. But strangely, whenever we brace that so-called myth and live as if, as if there is a higher power that we will one day answer to, a higher power that is bestowed on humanity more dignity and value than the animals, strangely, when we embrace that idea and live with that idea, even as a faint possibility in the backs of our minds, human beings tend to do better overall. Human beings tend to flourish. We, we treat each other better, far more humanely. We cooperate with one another more. We tend to generally be more civil, more altruistic, more willing to sacrifice for the good of others which is not what you'd expect if this idea of a higher power were really a myth. Usually, when you go against nature or live inconsistently with reality, well, reality tends to catch up with you in some very punishing ways, you know, like trying to live inconsistently with the laws of physics, the law of gravity, for example. You try to live inconsistently with the law of gravity, you get into trouble real quick. So then, so, so why then do we flourish when we live with these ideas about human beings being created in the Imago Dei, in the image and likeness of a creator God, if those ideas are nonsensical myths? And conversely, why do we wind up destroying ourselves and the rest of creation when we live as if there is no God? As if we are merely animals and therefore, you know, just masters of our own fate. You know, when it, whenever we declare there is no God and determine to take matters into our, into our own hands, we tend to get things like, like, for example, what happened in the early 20th century in Russia where over 20 million people were killed by their own atheistic government. Or, or in communist China, where over 80 million people were killed by their own government. Or in Nazi Germany, where arguably the most advanced nation on the earth at that time sought to leverage evolutionary theory in order to cleanse the gene pool of inferior races while simultaneously trying to dominate and rule the world. And over 6 million people were killed by their own government. government not counting the millions of, casual, uh, of war casualties. Most of you here know, most of you listening me to me today know that human beings divorced from God are doomed to destruction. Humans are lost apart from God. Any attempt to solve the problems and issues of uh, that humanity faces in our own wisdom and our own intellect to the exclusion of God our creator will result in disaster and yet there are many who are determined to try to, to seek solutions 
without the idea of, of God muddying the waters. They deny the existence of God, effectively embracing the idea that human beings are merely highly evolved animals while ironically at the same time imagining themselves to be gods, all-powerful, omniscient beings capable of controlling the collective fate of humanity. Best-selling author of the books Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, and Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow. Over 20 million copies of these books have been sold worldwide. Uh, the author is also a contributing member of the World Economic Forum. Dr. Uval, uh, I think his name is pronounced Yuval no Noah Harari. Um, this is what he proposes. Um, we humans should get used to the idea that we are no longer mysterious souls. We are now hackable animals. We're now hackable animals. Um, I'm going to try to find my slides here. Here we go. Okay. Um, it's an idea called transhumanism which is gaining a lot of traction all over the world. But Dr. Harari says that this merger of human life with technology will not benefit the average man or woman so that they may improve their own future, but that a handful of elites will, will not only build digital dictatorships, digital dictatorships for themselves, but they will gain power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, he says, you can usually also engineer it. Dr. Harari uh, concludes his remarks by saying this, and I'll put this quote up on the screen. The whole idea that humans have this soul or spirit, and they have free will, and nobody knows what's happening inside of me, so no one... Uh, so, so whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket... This is my free will. That's over. And, and he emphasizes free will. That's over. It's an idea being embraced by a lot of intellectuals and academics. Human beings are just hackable animals. And free will is simply an illusion. Uh, not that long ago, uh, I'm just going to tip my toe into the field of science here for me. I, I, I like science. Um, some of you have pushed back whenever I talk on science. Uh, anyway, I'm, I won't spend a whole lot of time here, but for those of you that enjoy science, try to, try to track with me here. Um, this, this I, not long ago, scientists and philosophers believed in a fatalistic world as recently as the 20th century, just, you know, not even 100 years ago. They saw the world as a giant cause and effect machine where everything that happens happens because something caused it to happen. Nothing happens without a natural cause, even, even the thoughts that you think. Okay? So uh, this was the prevailing scientific idea at that time. It's just particles that are randomly crashing into other particles, sometimes in, in extraordinary ways so that... A, a life form a, capable of replicating itself is accidentally created by these particles kind of smashing in. But everything is caused by something else. So if you follow that idea to its logical conclusion, there really is no such thing as free will. Everything is predetermined, including 
every thought that you think and your decisions and subsequent actions, all predetermined, those things are merely the product of something else that happened. Scientists thought this because they observed the universe made up of energy and particles that were long, long ago set in motion, much like a machine that gets set in motion. It, it, it's just, you know, this that triggers that, that triggers these other things, and so on. A machine cannot change its mechanics. It just does what it does, and that's the entire universe, including human beings. That's what scientists thought, just not even 100 years ago. The smartest, most brilliant people in the world believed this. And countless books and papers were published and circulating, uh, circulated promoting these ideas and their resulting implications, including the implication that human free will is simply an illusion. You may think you have free will, but you really don't. You're just, be, you're just acting out whatever happened before. You're just, you're just pre-programmed to do what you're, whatever you're going to do. All this, of course, is based on ideas that exclude any possibility of a creator God. I mean, imagine the impact if people actually believed that and lived that way. It doesn't matter what I do. Whatever I do is not my fault. Of course, uh, this was, this, these ideas excluded the possibility of creator God, but God was invoked along the way in these scientific discussions perhaps as a courtesy to those of us who still believe in God. Uh, one scientist asserting, you know, God does not play dice with the universe, and another scientist countering with, who are you to tell God what to do with his dice? That was kind of the debate at the time. But then, several astonishing discoveries were made that demonstrated that particles, quarks and atoms, and energy, which is really the same thing as quarks and atoms, it turns out, upon further scientific research and experimentation, atomic particles don't behave nearly as predictably as everybody thought. They were all mistaken due to the extreme intellectual and observational limitations of human beings. Sorry, everybody, uh, we got it wrong. Turns out it's good possibility that you might actually have free will after all. These new discoveries opened up a, a new field of science called quantum physics, which conclusively demonstrated that there, there seems to be mysterious invisible forces acting upon energy particles, causing them to inexplicably change direction without any uh, cause that could be measured, or instantaneously change location, or even be in two places at the same time. In fact, they could no longer even be certain as to what these energy particles were, whether they were waves or particles, just not sure. These discoveries blew apart the deterministic, fatalistic ideas that the universe simply followed a predetermined path without deviating at all. And yet these scientific discoveries, the idea that people and things are just products of cause and effect, victims of their environment and their genetics with no free will of their own, continues to be hugely popular, and it's not difficult to see why. It seems that many human beings are far more comfortable with the idea of free will being an illusion because, well, because then the bad choices we make and the evil things we do, it's really not our fault. It's just the way we are. It's, it's just the truth about ourselves. In fact, this was the thinking 
um, that actually continues into this very day. Uh, when you think this way, there really is no such thing as good or evil. See, so you can't blame a criminal, a murderer, or a child molester, or a genocidal maniac. Uh, they, they are only following their predetermined path. They are the effect that is the result of a cause outside of their control. They're just part of the machine doing what it was designed to do. So in this scenario, there is no real accountability for human beings. Most scientists today have abandoned the idea of a fatalistic universe where free will is an illusion and instead gravitate more toward an idea expressed by astrophysicist Sir James Jeans who said this, the universe is looking less like a great machine and more like a great thought, which is far more consistent with reality. It is a great thought. The universe is a great thought originating in the mind of a great God, which I don't need to tell you, is really, really good news. Because what this means is this, and for those of you that kind of checked out during the little science little thing, check back in. Because here's, here's, here's what this means. Here's, here's what I'm driving at. You, as a human being, have been entrusted with incredible power. You have free will. And the implications of that are enormous. You can choose. And what you choose literally sets bits and pieces of the universe into motion, according to the latest scientific evidence in quantum physics. Your choices literally affect the cosmos. This means that you are not a mere animal with no choice but to follow your natural instincts and impulses. You are not merely a victim of something that happened in your, to you in your past. You are not doomed to be a slave to your genetic predispositions or to the power of suggestion or even to clever advertisements, as in the case of the woman from Omsk, Russia. This is a true story who, while fasting for religious purposes, saw a McDonald's advertisement featuring cheeseburgers and chicken nuggets, and as a direct result, had no choice but to stop and order some food at McDonald's. She is suing McDonald's. True story. Suing McDonald's, alleging that the advertisement forced her to break her fast, which violated her religion, and she is consequently suing McDonald's for 1,000 rubles which is equivalent of about $14 U.S. currency. No, <laughs> you don't have to obey your appetites, your urges, your impulses, and your instincts. You can choose. You have that power. The Apostle Paul warned his young apprentice, Timothy, that in the last days, people would have a form of godliness but deny its power. The word Paul used for power here uh, in, the, in the Greek, uh, the original Greek word is the word dynamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. Power. But even more significantly, this Greek word has a supernatural, miraculous connotation to it. It's not just a, a, you know, a, a natural ability or power, but supernatural ability and miraculous power. Paul says that is connected 
with godliness. You have that power as a human being created in the Imago Dei, in the image and likeness of God. So why don't we use that power? Perhaps an even more distressing question might be, why do so many of us seem to want to insist that, as mere animals, we don't have that power? Paul explains to Timothy in the verses immediately preceding the one we just read, that contrary, contrary to the, the idea that mankind will one day come together and figure it all out and form an idyllic utopia where everyone joins hands and forms a love train and sings Imagine together, contrary to that idea, Paul says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And by last days, he means the culmination of human history, the end of the world as we know it. Jesus, painted, Jesus himself painted a, a similar picture of the last days, liking it to the days of Noah before the flood when people had become desperately wicked. Mark this, there would be terrible times in the last days. People would be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, they will have some kind of distorted view of godliness, some kind of distorted view of evil and good, and, but it will be completely disconnected from the source of authentic godliness and consequently disconnected from the inherent power in that godliness, which is God himself. Not a pretty picture of where this world is headed one day. Let's pray it's not today or tomorrow. We're told that when we turn to God, when we humble ourselves and repent of our arrogance and our self-sufficiency, uh, you know, our, our godlessness and immorality and corruption, that human flourishing can be restored. As the Apostle Peter, Peter said to a culture not so different from our own, he said this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So when we repent, human flourishing, humanity begins to flourish again. And times of refreshing can be experienced again. You see, we can choose. We have a choice. We really do. To be self-controlled or to give ourselves over to our lusts and impulses and let them determine who... And what we are, you know, determine our identity. We, we have a choice to embrace our, the Imago Dei or to accommodate and cater to our animal nature. We have a choice to embrace our God-given responsibility as human beings or to despise our responsibility. We have a choice to be grateful or to be ungrateful. It's all a choice. We have the power, supernatural power, to choose to be healthy or to be unhealthy, to be gracious and forgiving or to be bitter and resentful, to choose to be happy or to complain and be annoyed, to be at peace or to be angry and hostile, to love others or to resent them and despise them and want to harm them. 
Now, here's what we've sadly all discovered. None of these choices are easy, are they? In fact, most of these choices are very difficult. Most of them we can't just do like, just like that. Most of them have to be kind of worked at and worked out. They're difficult. We talked a lot about that last week. Part of the consequences of our sin and rebellion against God was that doing the right thing, living a fruitful and productive life, laying hold of the more that we were created for, even living a healthy life, would now, in this life, because of sin, it would be toilsome. It would be by the sweat of our brow. It would be hard, difficult, a struggle, a battle. We would, we would be at war with ourselves all the days of our lives while on this earth. We'd be conflicted beings. The appetites and urges and impulses of our animal nature would wage war against the longings, hopes, and desires of our spiritual nature. And thinking, thinking people are tempted to ask, well then, why, why did God create us with an animal nature? if it was just going to fight against us and bring us down all of our lives. Well, come on, it was, it was you and I. Um, actually, it was Adam and Eve before us, then you and I blindly followed suit. It was, it was us, it was we ourselves, who raised our animal nature above our spiritual nature. We gave in to its appetites. God warned us not to eat that particular piece of fruit. But we elevated our lower animal nature with its appetites and impulses above that part of us that communes with and listens to and obeys God, and it's been fighting us for dominance ever since. See, in God's order of things, our physical animal side was intended to serve us, to give us the ability to work the garden, to work paradise, to do good things, to be creative, to explore creation, to explore and even create beauty to even create life and experience pleasure. In God's order, that physical part of our nature was meant to serve us, to be a gift to us, but never, never to rule us, never to be in charge. See, our sin brought conflict, an internal war between our physical animal nature and our spiritual heavenly nature. We let the animal out of its cage. Who let the dogs out? You, 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 me. <laughs> we, we let it out of the cage. The Apostle Paul talks about this battle, this war, in his letter to the Christians living in Galatia in the first century, where he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then in his letter to the Romans, he elaborates on this idea. And I'm going to read a chunk of verses here. Um, and I want you to stay with me. Uh, I, I don't have much time to comment on this. In fact, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Uh, I'm going to read these verses. And we're going to receive communion together. But, uh, but I'm going to read this passage. In fact, let me just pray because I, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to give us insight into what we're reading here. This is so important. This is, this is literally words of life and death for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, as I read these verses, uh, how many of them? There's probably 15 verses here or so. Um, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us insight 
into the truths that these words represent. Here's what Paul writes to the Christians living in Rome. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live, excuse me, I'm going to put them up on the screen so you can follow along. Let me start over. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed in, by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it even do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And He lives in you because you invite Him to live in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I'm going to skip down to verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slave. I, just, I do have to insert right here. The lie is, if you obey God, you're a slave. If you obey God, you can't do this, 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 and this. If you obey God, you will be in bondage. It's a lie, folks. It's a lie. When you obey your animal nature, when you, when you do what, you're, what you're, you know, your instincts and your lusts and your cravings do, you become a slave to those things. They drive your entire life. And they, they define you. You're a slave when you accommodate your animal nature. God wants to set you free from that because you were made for more than that. We can't see it yet because it is in, a, in the spiritual realm. And you can't see it until you step into that realm. You've got to come out of the darkness into the light, and then you see the freedom that God is extending you and I. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption as sons, not just creatures, not the animal, you know, not his God's pets, his sons and daughters. You become his sons and daughters. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. That's literally what that means. Abba means daddy. We cry, Daddy, God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Uh, now, if we are children, guess what? That makes us heirs as well, heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may also share his glory. Um, when I was a very young Christian, a spiritual mentor explained it to me this way. It's like you have two dogs living inside of you. Maybe you've heard this analogy. A flesh dog and a spirit dog. And they are continually fighting one another for dominance. Which one is going to win the fight? Obviously, it's the one you feed the most. It's the one you feed the most. 
The choice is yours as to which one you're going to feed the most. You can choose to feed your anger or your love. You can choose to feed your anxiety. Man, we're so good at that these days. Everything we read, everything we think about, the things we talk about, the things we discuss, ponder, read books about, feeds our anxiety. You can choose to feed your anxiety or your peace. Word of God, prayer, communion, worship. You can choose to feed your lusts or feed self-control. You can choose to feed your fear or your faith. You can choose to feed your physical appetites, impulses, your spiritual longings, uh, appetites, your impulses, impulses or your spiritual longings and desires. That's why the Apostle Peter warns us. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Your sinful desires wage war against your soul. Well, what, what does that, which desires are sinful? Listen, our physical desires in themselves are not sinful. God created them. He created all your physical desires. They were thought up by God. God invented them. The desire for food, for pleasure, for comfort, security, all your sexual desires, all created, thought up by God. They only become evil when you exclude God from them. Any desire you pursue outside of God's will and design becomes an evil desire that wages war against your soul. Let me just say one more time to be clear. Any desire you pursue outside of God's will and design becomes an evil desire that wages war against your soul. And let me just tell you, you're not unique. Everybody has desires. They are tempted to pursue outside of God's will and design. Everybody. But you, you, as a being created in the Imago Dei, you have power. You do not have to obey your desires. You do not have to be enslaved to your instincts and appetites. It's what it means to be a human being. You can choose. You have a choice. The war rages, the, the war rages inside of all of us, but you have the power to determine the outcome. Lord Jesus, you gave us the power by giving us yourself. By your death on the cross, you broke the power of sin and death in each one of us. And then when you rose from the dead, you gave us your resurrection power, life forevermore. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, we're going to receive communion right now. This is our tradition at Hope. The first Sunday of every month, we, we celebrate communion. Uh, we're going to sing a, a little bit of a song first, and I'll be back in just a minute to lead us in communion.